everybody. Welcome once again. This week's episode number four, Hit the Lotto Podcast. I think we're doing okay here to, uh, to get things started with me and my co-host in the, in the uh, room. So that's good Good news. I always get shit about how I felt. Uh, I don't know, because I hit the lotto before we come on, and then I, you know... Things are get all crazy here, and I get all nervous and shit. But uh, I'm Romo, episode number four. I am joined tonight. I normally go into my rant, but that's not going to happen this week. I'm joined tonight by my co-host, as always, the Roz. Roz, how are you, pal? Good, buddy. How you doing? Doing good, man. Last yeah. week was last week was cool, huh? <laughs> I think last week was uh, was a high point, man. I think it was really interesting. I thought about it all week. Very cool. Yeah, totally. I think that. Uh, uh, it was it was just a cool uh, cool conversation with Gary. He's obviously, as you know, here. You know, he's a he's a very good dude. He has got some some great answers, and you know, it was very simple. He he made it quite simple. You know, it's it's not that is it that difficult? Do we need to look that that deep? You know. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Well, I don't know how uh, how your week was there, pal. But uh, I had um, your my son your godson's two-year-old birthday party on sunday happy birthday little man something else have to grow huh all of a sudden he's two (laughs) yeah man he's two he's two years old and and uh you know it's funny because you know it's it's a pandemic birthday you know here like no no not that he has any friends i think i may have talked about this how you know oliver's a quarantine baby like he's only had he's two years old he's only had maybe a handful of interactions in a kind of a purposeful setting with other kids his age, you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. we're, you got to stay home. So it was just, uh, it was crazy, but it was good to have him over. But the funny, the funny thing about, about it was is that he got, you know, he got some tractors and remote control, his first remote control tractor. And he got some, some car stuff. He loves cars and he's, he's got his car stuff, but the, the the two things that he plays with the most are his kitchen. He got a kitchen, uh-huh. so the two and, it, and he got a he got a Dyson a toy Dyson vacuum cleaner mm, that actually this, works. Right? There's one of those a mini Dyson vacuum. There's one of those banging around here, my also, and it's a, it's a very popular toy. <laughs> yeah, that, that works. So, uh-huh. so the kids the kids walking around the house hoovering and and cooking cooking and washing dishes you know it's, <laughs> it's a it's a good thing to see it's a good thing to see he's learning things early you make my wife very happy all those chores are important you know <laughs> gonna do all the things that i don't do around the house you know <laughs> <laughs> well until he gets a hits a certain age and then you know who knows he'll be uh outside and into the bikes and into doing other things but it seems I, funny uh, that uh i saw the same thing as you a lot of them a lot of interaction in the cleaning and the folding of laundry and a lot of involvement. And then they get, you know, you get to a certain point where uh, they realize it's, um, it's a chore and it's not, it's not a game. So <laughs> you got to reel them in and then you got to start forcing them to do everything. You know? Yeah, then, yeah, exactly. Oh, that's, that's, that would be my 11 year old <laughs> who, you know, only, only maybe three months ago did she actually learn how to put the dish from, into the dishwasher correctly, you know, in the, in the past, you just used to leave it on the counter right next to the dishwasher. Mm-hmm. That sounds like me. I think, I think, my, uh, I think that's, that's my deal too. I do the same thing there. 
<laughs> yeah, so, so I, I taught her a couple of weeks ago. Look, let me let me show you how to do that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Put it, put it into the dishwasher. I don't care how you do it; just put it into the dishwasher. There's an active listener. How are you? Good evening. Um, yeah, so we got. I mean, we actually got a ton, not a ton, but yeah. Look, in in terms of what's going on, we got a we got a bunch of it, a bunch of downloads, a bunch of listeners. It was a well received show. It was the first time I put it out on any kind of social media, and and uh, it seems to be well received. So you know. This this is a, it's doing pretty good. Hopefully, we can get some good shows in the future. I'm I'm looking forward to what we can do going forward. Oh, I think so too. I think last week was a great example of that, and a little bit of uh, horsing around, and then a little bit of seriousness in there mixed together. And uh, it's sure been a pleasure to listen to you and partake in a very small way. But uh, you know, I really uh, it's a great way to connect uh, with your you especially. I talk to you once a week now, which is great in person, not just via text or email or something else. So um, especially during the times that we're living in, it's uh, nice to reach out. And it's a way of connecting us all. So, But other than that, you know, it's it's a great way to bullshit. So not to be too philosophical about it. It really just is a great, you know, release. Yeah, no, I, yeah totally. And, and I think that, that I probably have often said to myself, like, the conversations that you and I have had with each other before the podcast, before when we were just living near each other and actual communicating in the proper way with each other you know oftentimes i'd be like you know if people like listen to what we're saying like we're we're two pretty dumb but pretty smart dudes like maybe it was just the being drunk (laughs) but but i'm glad that we get to do it and and people get to listen to it i think people are 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 liking it you know there's some good comments some good things out there you know people that again folks like that i wouldn't necessarily even have communication with yeah people that i respect or you know you know family members and things like that like it's, it's me being me it's you being you so i appreciate them you know and i appreciate you hanging out but i got i got one comment that was it was actually a, a funny one not funny but from someone that I, I truly truly respect a fellow too and he said you know he listened to it and he and he said uh you know something about the the casual cursing you know because I, I tend to i tend to you know it's I mark it as explicit i say a few drop a few f-bombs say a few things or whatever and i was like ah, and i wrote back to him i said you know just got to be me and he wrote back and he's irish now and he wrote back no like i mean that as a compliment like it's a lost art like and it's one of the things that during covid w- you would hear those these things at the pub you know, the way that these things would say and the, the casual cursing, the accepted sort of, you know, cursing, if you will, you would hear these things at the pub and the pubs are closed. So it's not around anymore. So so it was uh, it was just an interesting comp- compliment or note to get on, you know, casually cursing, because I definitely think I casually curse more since I moved to Ireland than I did when I lived in the States. Oh, I think, you know, listen, just we 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 me included use my fair share of profanities and uh, <laughs> but the irish art of profanity is is a very finely tuned and eloquent thing to listen to um you even use words that we wouldn't even dare say and just in a mid-sentence so you know you know you know the one i'm talking about <laughs> I know, so I know. uh but it is it's uh, it's a wonderful thing and um i shit i look forward to it all week it's two two two, two excuses to you know, things you can't do with with little ones running around and everything that goes on, you know, is, is be profane and uh, drink vodka. So, you know, <laughs> um, here I am. Here I am doing both. 
Uh, <laughs> hey, you, somebody would like to know my preferred with method of making coffee. I'm going to listen. If I may just jump in here for one second. Yeah, go for, it, man. Um, go for it. Go for it. I got a story I about coffee. I yeah. drink, I drink very little coffee. Um, if you, you know, my general demeanor tends to be a little high strung. I don't, uh, I, I'm not a maintenance coffee drinker in a sense. I work with people and I'm around people. They need that morning cup to get their jolt or they, they drink it in the afternoon. Um, under no circumstances does a cup of coffee pass through my lips after nine o'clock and somewhere around nine, nine thirty. That's when I really like to switch from coffee to beer anyways. But by nine 30, I'm definitely done with, uh, with caffeine in general, but my coffee, uh, is always black. Uh, and there is no sugar in it and there is no milk. Um, and that's just the way that I like it. Um, for one of many reasons, uh, that, you know, one reason is I really enjoy the taste. And the second reason is I'm really starting to, um, I'm, I'm, I've, I've been embarked on a, a very strict meal plan recently. I'm fearful to call it a diet, but, um, it's about 1200 calories a day and I've cut out all the extra things, the butter on my toast, the sugar. And, and, you know, I, I question myself why sometimes while I'm going through this. Uh, so, but you know, I figure, you know, I've got to try to be a little bit healthier, but on the, on the, on the flip side of that, I've been fat my whole life and I've been very happy. So it's very hard for me to, to, uh, you know, I think just full people in general, if you're full, you're happy. So, uh, it's tough sometimes for me to, to get wrap my head around it. So I've cut the sugar out of my coffee for those reasons. And really what I find myself doing is on uh, this, and this meal plan, um, is tracking calories. So all day I'm constantly looking up, you know, did you ever know there was this many calories in that? And for example, but you know what it's really morphed into for me is I'm much more of a, 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 a drinker and I, I, it's not volume. It's just, I enjoy one or, you know, depending on the situation too. So for me with this new thing that's going on, um, I know it was a coffee question, but I'm tracking calories. And what I find myself doing about six thirty or seven o'clock at night is making sure that I have enough calories left over to at least have one glass of wine or one drink at the end of every day. So this whole this whole thing, this in this in, in bark, you know, what what I've what I've my motivation to to be more healthy has somehow done a U-turn. So I'm at twelve hundred calories, but somewhere around four hundred calories a day of that is uh, distilled spirits or fermented spirits. So um, <laughs> kind of a funny thing going on right now around here. But it is it is uh, that's what that's. That's the coffee store, anyways. So, <laughs> so, so um, I think I know this act, who active listener probably is, and uh, he, he may even come up again later in the show. But, um, and I, I said to you before we came on the air when we were talking about topics and things, I was, and I said, you know, I want to do a topic on, you know, that guy. You know, you know that guy, that guy that does this all the time. That guy, almost this, you know, that stereotype. You, you know that guy. You know, the, you know, like we had on an episode number two when our boy Johnny was on. You know, you know that guy, right? Mm -hmm. But he, he, he almost falls into the you know that guy category because what he is actually asking is, um, is that he has right now probably three different methods of making coffee in his house. All you know, your your kind of typical household methods like I, I do too like i actually have four i think because i have the stupid uh, nespresso the keurig as you have over there machine that is in the corner that i, I never use anymore i have uh, 
a percolator that I never use. I have the maca pot that I use all the time, and I have the French press, right? So I have four different methods, but they're all small little things. Mm-hmm. He, he actually sent me a picture of what he was thinking about buying. He was like, what do you think about this uh, for the house? And, and, you know, he showed me a picture of a Sage Heston Blumenthal, Sage by Heston Blumenthal uh, coffee machine, right? And the thing is yeah. like, it's like probably fifteen hundred dollars, and yeah, yeah, things, things like fifteen hundred dollars. And he, you know, he was paying attention when I had an episode on snobbery. You know, he, he uh, you know, and I was like, "What are you doing? Like, what, what are you talking about? Like, dude, you have six acres of land and you cut it with a an old school rotary push no motor <laughs> lawnmower, you know, for Christ's sakes, you could buy yourself a lawnmower for that, that much money and still drink. The coffee will be just as nice, right? The coffee will be just as nice. You're, you're buying it to put it on your countertop, you know, but, it, but and look, he can do it. Everyone wants his money, but I think that's, that was his uh, uh, method. That's why he wanted to know if, if it was worth it to buy a Sage by Heston Blumenthal, uh, coffee machine or if doing it by the traditional kind of home methods are just as good? Well, me, I mean, I don't know if it's a question of, but I'll just make a comment. And I, I get back to the, uh, I kind of said how I took my coffee, but I'm just a simple drip coffee guy. I'm not um, as uh, evolved in that sense. I've, and I think that great machines uh, tend to, uh, you know, in the, working in the business and being around good espresso makers and, um, you know, quality machines with quality parts always produce, uh, you know, have a better result. So I guarantee uh, that um, that fancy coffee maker is going to make a better cup of coffee than my, uh, you know, $39 drip that's mostly plastic, you know, so, and gets, a, you know, and the bottom is a good amount of grinds floating out at the bottom too. So uh, probably more civilized and a uh, better result. And with any, I mean, come on, with any craft or artisan foods, let's face it, sometimes, you know, there's a little that, rawness that's involved but you know listen you know anything made anything made you know it's wine or food or cheese or coffee or or any of those things is definitely um hell <laughs> i'll just back out of it and say it's gonna look great on your counter I, it'll I, look I, great I, on I your counter pal don't worry don't worry i think an active listener is definitely one who has uh, been on who, who knows you well i think we're gonna talk about his recipe maybe in a little while uh to get to uh just to keep keep things moving on though i want to i was gonna um i think i'm gonna just move one thing out of the way and i was just gonna i was gonna talk about the super bowl i want to talk about the super bowl with you but before the we talk about the super bowl um baseball so you're a big baseball guy and today they just kind of uh um agreed again to to the the kind of uh new rules the new normal of of major league baseball because of covid and all that stuff and uh what do you, what do you think about the you know the seven inning double headers that they're playing and what do you think about the the starting a guy on second base in extra innings you know what do you think about those rules well Let's put a pin in you know that guy because I want you to get back to that. But I, I will for sure. I will. Yeah. yeah, I'll stay on topic with this. I think that Major League Baseball is this is the death rattle of Major League Baseball, and I think this started years ago, which with pitch clocks and no more sliding into home plate and all these things. I don't know about you, but I grew up loving baseball, and I know it's a brutal thing, but you're talking about. Other popular sports are contact sports. There's plenty of it. 
Um, and we can't slide into home plate anymore because it's a, an expensive player, an expensive contract that we might be knocking out at the, at the, at the fear of not being able to sell more tickets and more jerseys because these guys are on the bench and hurt instead of on the field playing. I think the game has become way too corporate, way too business-oriented. Um, people complain about, well, you know, athletes make so much money and, and, and uh, you know, it's so expensive to go to the ballpark. And, you know, I, I think the whole thing has gotten to a point where it's, it's a and, and I don't want to sound too bitter or jaded about it, I kind of already do, but um, I think it's kind of shameful. And I think that what they're trying to do is market the game um, and gain fans. And I think... The, the, the truth of the matter is, for, for, for one man's opinion, is that baseball has its fans. Uh, you either like baseball or you're not. You either understand it or you don't. It's something that's been passed down from generation to generation. You know, I watched it with my grandparents, and, you know, I learned the art of the, you know, the hit and run and what it was and the pitch out and, and all the things that, that make baseball a beautiful game that the casual observer completely misses. But let's face it, baseball has moved in the direction of – uh, entertaining people who are not baseball fans. So there's one-fifth of the people in the stadium and watching on TV are pure baseball fans who are there to see uh, the signs and the stealing of bases and the bunts and moving the runner and, and hitting the ball to opposite fields. I mean, most people tune in to watch these gigantic men who don't can't stay on the field and be healthy, just crank 20 or 30 home runs as far as they can crank them. But a pure baseball fan you know, embraces the, the, the hitter, the pure hitter that hits the ball in the hole the opposite way. It does all the beautiful things that make baseball the special game that it is. And baseball has evolved into jerseys, $12 hot dogs, song and dance and games and entertainment for people who really don't know the game and aren't really interested in watching it in the first place. So this is just another step in the wrong direction for baseball. That's what I have to say. You with me? They're saying, sorry, they're saying that that um, the these particular new rule changes that were modified last year are being proactively put in place because of of COVID. But you think there's more to it than that? Then you think that? I mean, and obviously, I agree with you that it began earlier than this. Like, I think the, the I just the, don't think the there's any corporatization. It was kind of the last sport to be corporatized. If you if you want to be honest with, it. well, hockey actually is probably the last one because nobody wants to touch hockey. Really, yeah. What are you going to do? With, hockey, what are you going to do with hockey? hockey with, you know, I mean, it's like when yeah. you. I'm sorry, but you know, you're going to lose when, when there's when you cut down. You know, when you take some of this stuff out of the game, and I'm not saying, um, you know, it's all about the physicality and all. It's something that I'm I'm seeking this violence, even though there's another sport on TV. That actually happened this past weekend is by the entire premise of the game. And you're a purist, but and a casual observer of, of American football. I mean, it's 50 percent contact. And, I mean, there's a lot more going on there, but uh, I, I do. I, I, you know, I, I, I don't understand it. I don't I, you know, just play less games, you know, play less games. There's other ways to do this, but I, I can't see. I mean, how do you change the timing of the game in any way, shape or form? And starting runners on second base is Bush League, Little League. <laughs> bullshit just yeah plain yeah and it is simple. a bit it it's is just a bit plain of... and simple and it just is i mean i mean the, the only we're gonna put the ball on a t next i mean what's coming next with these guys so I, i'm not i'm not uh i'm not in love with any of it i don't care if the game is sped up i don't want the game to be sped up i like the game just the way that it is so that it actually brings up just on, on the back of that talking about you know things becoming corporate and stuff uh 
you know, America has always been the American sports, the American pro sports have always been those kind of, uh, they, 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 tread that fine line like football obviously football is a, a corporate sport like it's it's a marketing genius sport i mean we, there was an argument in one of the group chats i had with some irish fellows today that that were like you know it's they shouldn't call brady shit can't call himself the world champ he's not the world champs you didn't you're not the champs of the world you know the world series you're not the champs of the world blah 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 but whatever for whatever reasons marketing is is the reason why those terms and those names were given to those events. And, you know, the, the world series was literally started because it was, it was a marketing tool at the time. The American league plays the national league. It's the world series because like it was, the world was a small place to people back then, you know, it was big, but it was a small place because the world only consisted of what you could see or travel to by car or by horse, you know, and now it's, now it's a small world because you can get anywhere at any time. But like the, the, it's marketing. So NFL is marketing. They have they have literally have timeouts called television timeouts. So the TV can can go to a commercial, and it's which is ironic, funny because you know if they have the game here, they just extra pundits talking. The, the reporters are talking all, a lot more, or whatever. But uh, but it never really crossed that line, right? So it crossed the line in that like the 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 stadiums are now AT and T Stadium the the all wrapped all around every stadium no matter what sport budweiser Coors light the whatever all these different deutsche bank all these different these things Mm -hmm. but it never got to the uniform of the player Mm -hmm. whereas if you take for instance you know soccer football here you know it's all about like the the jerseys are like chevy players are billboards you know they they literally are you've seen the emergence in golf too golf is a sport that Guys always sort of um, modestly had a logo or two, but now it's a an entirely different thing. It's a massive business, and um, you know you see it with guys. It's like you know you could be two hundredth in the world, and uh, you're getting paid because you got uh, X on your bag and X on your hat or whoever it is. It's a it's such a trip to see that. Um, I know you don't see the commercial. I mean, you know, I remember when Steinbrenner was so adamantly against George, was so adamantly against. Uh, Yankee Stadium having any of that stuff in Yankee Stadium. I remember when it was very plain and drab and simple. There wasn't a lot. I mean, I can't remember the name of that beer. There was that old school beer like Genesee or one of those beers that was – they had an ad in Models, just a couple, you know. There was just a few. Um, what is that, W.B. Mason? There was a couple. Yeah, I was going to say and, W.B. Mason. Yeah, and, and, but, I mean, that was it, and he, he didn't want Yankee Stadium to be – that wasn't what it was. And now it's just – Boy, it's just become something else, hasn't it? And it's just, again, I just think that the focus, what these guys are doing is, and it's their job to do it, and they're very good at it, is that they want to widen their viewership. They want to increase their market. And they know that people, it's not the game and the purity of, you know, they don't care. You know, here's the story about, if you can find this analogy. Years ago, I was in a beverage uh, expo for a specific vodka company. And there's a couple different vodkas. And they brought a one of the top mixologists um in the country who had done uh drink and beverage programs for casinos in las vegas and it was really impressive to watch you know there's all these people who are going to come they're going to try all these different drinks they were going to compare all the different styles of vodka it was a big deal you know and i was really interested in watching and he's putting all these things in his drinks and there was all this garnish and fruit and syrups and seasonings and i'm a i'm a you know again like i said i really I, i'm into um 
mixology and, and alcohol and drinking. And, I, and like I said, I don't, I don't, it's not about abuse. It's about, you know, enjoying the, the good stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah. um, I'm such a purist, you know, I was a beef eater, yeah. gin, beef eater, gin guy forever. And yeah. I don't want a lot of my drinks and, and I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't need it hidden or masked or anything. And, and I said to him, I said, you know, I said, boy, you know, you put a, for, for, for being a, you know, as a chef, for a mixologist is really kind of foofy. You know, there's a lot of junk in here, a lot of distraction, a lot of, uh, you know, pomp and circumstance to, to, to get past the point of it. And he looks at me and he says, purely and simply, I am not trying to sell a drink to you. You're a drinker. You are going <laughs> to buy a drink anyways. <laughs> if I'm in a casino and I get someone who comes out with, on a budget once or twice a year who probably never drinks at home, and this is their big splurge, they're not going to drink four ounces of beef eater on ice up. I need to make these drinks marketable for people who don't drink. So crossing over in my analogy is baseball or any of these sports, they're not going, they're not targeting the pure baseball fans. They've widened their their outreach to try to capture a larger audience with other things, the other fireworks and and you know the confetti, the the the, the jerseys, the commercials and all those things. So you know that's where that's where I see American sports at least get commercialized. They don't want people who care about the, the sport, especially the Super Bowl. I mean anybody here it's kind of dumb to listen to at this point, but they oh, I only watch it for the commercials or I only watch it for you know, to eat, you know, all the, the wings and everything. That's cool. I'm not knocking it, but yeah, about it. they're not talking about, hey, did you see them put that runner in motion? Do you see what kind of, you know, you guys talk about football. It's like a whole nother language, you know? I know uh, you're, you're right. I mean, the, the Super Bowl is, is next on the list, but you're absolutely. That was your segue, Kat. Yeah, there you go. It's perfect, man. You're you're 100 right about that. I mean, that's why the Super Bowl had a hundred million people watching it. Like, it's it's an obscene number of people that watch it. And let's be honest, it's a hugely small portion of the world that actually knows what American football is. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like I mean, the people here know what it is. We have a league, I coach, and and all those things. But I mean, when you think about like, like uh, how big that show is worldwide. It's watched all over the world, you know, because it's just such a marketing tool. It is literally an advertising marketing tool. Like I, I watched it on Game Pass, and I was like, I literally was like, I haven't, I forgot what an advertisement was. I forgot what a commercial was. Mm-hmm. Here, ads are very different, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> so I, you I know, like, it's, geez, I, look I, at all I, these ads. This is crazy. <laughs> it, it, it is, and you know, it says a lot about, um, you know. I'm not, I'm not going down that route, but it just says a lot about what's going on. Um, it's everything that it seems to be designed to distract people from the point. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to get too delve too deep into that, but I'm one of those guys when it comes to certain things. I can, I like to be on the move. I put it on and I'm doing other things and that's enough, you know, that, that that's enough for me because <laughs> it's hard to get drawn into that. Although the spectacle of Tom Brady was, um, again, not a, I'm a you know I'm a I'm a baseball golf guy I'm 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 a sports guy to some degree but uh, no expert when it comes to the the sport of football um, a casual observer but uh, being a casual observer and and uh, witnessing what went on this Sunday that was not uh, what I expected. <laughs> it was uh I mean the guy has won in three decades he won in the 2000s the 2010s and now the 2020s. 
three decades he's won Super Bowls. <laughs> and let me tell just... you, it's what people don't. Some people don't really get too is, is that, and I, you could correct me if I'm wrong, but Tom Brady was not a first round draft pick. That man was 199th in the sixth round. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, and that's the real story to me is that it's always. Well, I shouldn't say that. It's not. It's probably very special. That's what makes it even more special to me because that's what makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck when I see him because I'd see what he's done and look at his career. And and I just, you know, the other day we were talking about it, I just, you know, I'm a Yankee guy and there's there's other – and people are going to roll their eyes, but it was so Jeter-esque. It just was. <laughs> it, it was a guy, you know, but it is. It's, it's a guy, it says – I'm going to do it the right way. I'm going to do it clean and classy. I know that there's been some controversy over the years, but there's no there's no denying anything about a career like Tom Brady's or a career like Derek Jeter's, a guy who hits the ball the other way, a guy that is in his first year at Tampa Bay. And I don't know the politics of him leaving New England, but an outsider just saw they were done with him. He was at that age. They moved on, and you know something? It was never the New England Patriots. It was always Tom Brady, and he proved it this week. <laughs> well, I, I mean, it, it, the interesting thing from from I, I see things from a coaching standpoint. Even when people ask me, you know, who do you who do you want to win the Super Bowl this year? You know, if uh, I even have a feigning interest in, you know, I'm a Cowboy fan, but I have a feigning interest in the Cowboys really since I moved here. I just don't watch it as much, you know. And I wasn't never in the. I like the pro game, but not hugely in the pro game. I'd more be a college follower, but uh, I always go by the coaches. So they're like, who, you know, who do you want to win the Super Bowl? And so if it's uh, this year was Arians and and uh, Andy Reid, and I'm like, both of them are great coaches. You know what I mean? They're both they're both coaches that, as a coach, I would aspire to kind of be like you know they both have that same I, I i think i kind of have that sort of mentality that they use and arians who is the coach of the buccaneer bruce arians he is ultimately that kind of a coach because what bruce arians did was he surround he he trains up the coaches around him you know he's got an offensive coordinator and byron leftwich and he had todd bulls the defensive coordinator those guys ran the show he didn't run the show. In New England, Bill Belichick ran the show. He brought young guys in to be the offensive coordinator, defense coordinator. They he would he would, you know, they they were smart, book smart guys, and they had talent on that team. There's a lot of talent on that team. But Belichick, you know what I mean? They were executing the his show. plan. Arian, Arian surrounded himself with people that were smarter than him. He made he's them a delegator. He, yeah, he, yeah, and he delegated. And, and, yeah, yeah, he's a delegator. And and, and, and and Belichick was much more it was it was they were executing his plan. And, and I didn't know that, but other than you just telling me, but not, like, again, taking an outside look, that's what kind of sounds like you're saying. Yeah, no, totally. Like, like the, the, they were, Tampa Bay was doing, they were like, again, talking football jargon, but they were like, they blitzed one or two plays. They blitzed both cornerbacks, which is both guys on the outside, way outside, the little guys. They blitzed both of them to just to throw off the Kansas City Chief offense. And they did things that were just so, you know, risky possibly, but smart risk taking that the coordinators made in that game. That if you top that with Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski and Antonio Brown, who now you know can just <laughs> play a season, even though he's a fucking lunatic, Boy, like, that guy should even that guy's just pure entertainment. Entertainment, man. you know what yeah, I mean? And when he get, when he's given, you know, he went to New England. They fired him before he even touched the field because you know Belichick ran the show there. Whereas Arians is like. 
Brady, can you handle this guy? And Brady said, yeah, he's super talented. And unless he's not allowed to play, we need him and I'll handle him. And he handled right. him. You know what right. I mean? Antonio sure. Brown was a model citizen because Brady handled him. Right. You know, Arians was so good at sort of, you know, delegating that authority then and, and like you said like brady's just it's just a freak of nature like just an absolute freak of nature that guy you know it's not physical stature it's none of those things and i just i know i keep making this sort of parallel between him and jeter and it's this heart of a winner and jeter didn't you know he was a tall thin guy especially when he was a young guy um but god every time he did i mean he just it was greatness look at all the great plays the amazing timely hits the defense and tom brady's just the same kind of player he's like here hop on and you know that's it just hop on and carries those teams and it really is uh man like i said it was just really cool it was just super cool because uh it seemed like a combination of things you know it seemed like a great a combination of great defense that really held down kc's offense and that superstar quarterback over there that they have and yeah. everybody says it was defense but then i kept my my, you know, my, my rebuttal was but Brady still put enough points up on that board to put this dead out of reach. You know something? Yeah, it, no, he, it, I mean, there was a point in that game where it was really started to get away from Kansas City, and then that desperation sets in, and they force. It wasn't a, a one touchdown game, you know, nail biter. It was Brady kept them out in front, and they just. I think it was just a collective team effort, you know. I totally, uh, Boris. I see that your comment there. I mean that. The D line kept putting the ball in his hands. Like you're right. Like there's no doubt about it. Like there were lots of factors in that game why Tampa Bay deserved to win that football game. Lots of factors, and that's what I'm talking about. Like, I mean, the, the the even the cheat or the Tampa Bay rather the Chiefs offensive line being down three line. There were lots of different things that that factors that led in. But that's I agree with you. Like you know the fact that Brady was there. <laughs> Brady was like I, not all, I, he left. New England said, "I'm going to Tampa Bay," and then just won the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, like you, like you just, year. like you just said to yourself, "Well, this guy still wants to play because it's an ego thing, and he's going someplace where it's really nice and warm. He doesn't have to suffer New England anymore and all these cold winter games and everything. You know, like you know, total retirement vacation kind of, you know, kind of situation. And that was, I mean, obviously, you know, not the case. So, very cool to watch. Very cool to to witness for sure." I, I like I, just before before we get all like get off of the Brady bandwagon. Trust me, Brady's the last guy that I'd be, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. But I'm with it, but you got to give credit where credits too. I would <laughs> I could care less in 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 really in broad terms about that. But yeah, uh, but and not when, to not even to get into to make this uh, this the story about politics is it, it isn't about politics at all at all. But I know that it, part of the you know. Part of the whole U.S. political climate was this uh, and, and this thing called QAnon, right? So this QAnon, whatever this internet thing that and, and, you know you believe it, you don't. Whatever, I, I don't care. Like I, I don't really give a shit, you know. But QAnon, the the ironic thing that I when I when I saw Brady do this, I'm like, you mean that fucking QAnon can figure out that Hillary Clinton is eating babies' faces? to stay alive, but they don't got shit on Tom Brady. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they don't got shit on this guy Brady for three fucking decades. This guy's a freak of fucking nature. I don't no, care. That's why, that's, why I put that him, that's why I put him in that Jeter category. Yeah. Always, you always expect a Jeter to get caught in that room with the wrong people or, you know, one of those things. Like, so many unfortunate, you know, things that happen um, – sometimes with people in the public eye and athletes and making wrong decisions or 
or, you know, painting themselves into a corner. You know, you know, it just it happens a lot. There's a lot of stories um, about <laughs> these things and uh, and behavior of, of people in the public eye. And, and um, you know, they tried to get him with the football, the plated football thing. And and I get it. But, you know, and I was I would be I would be on that bandwagon. I'm not disagreeing with the people that, that can say those things. But this was clean, man. As far, and, until you tell me differently, this was just this was clean. <laughs> You know what I mean, and and uh, oh, yeah. that was there's, that was the statement. Period. There's tons of stories about uh, out there uh, about like quarterbacks, like when when uh, Aaron Rodgers came to the Packers and Brett Favre was the starting quarterback. Like the 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 the, the, the shit that Brett Favre put Aaron Rodgers through, you know, on that team. And the, I guess that's one of the stories about Brady too, right? Is that Brady had this TB12 academy or whatever he's got his personal you know trainer physician guy he's got a guru right and him and this guru guy started this training facility um outside of foxborough and it, it got so he became it became so big that he was actually when when players were getting injured on the team they would get approvals instead of the team doctor to go to this tb12 thing you know what i mean and mm-hmm. and get better they, they they you know the patriots allowed that to happen but i guess i think it was garoppolo who was the beneath him or whatever uh, a few years ago he got hurt and needed to go and he got appro- approved to go to the the academy and when he showed up nobody was there <laughs> You know, so Brady got a lot of shit about this, and even his guru, you know, got a lot of shit about it. But you know, part of it was like, you know, that's old school, man. That's what yeah. Brady learned that shit from Drew Bledsoe. You know, mm-hmm. Brady learned that shit being the the last guy picked in a fucking draft. Like, yeah, you being, take being my under, spot? Being, I don't care being, if I'm injured. Yeah, yeah, I'm being being underestimated, not being, you know, and it probably sometimes is easier to come from that way, you know. First round draft pick, all the pressure, all everything on you, all the expectations. Uh, what if there's no pressure? What if there's no expectations? What if you're they think that you're never going to be anything better than a backup quarterback? So yeah, you prove them wrong, and it's a, an amazing ascension to the career that he's had. But still, um, maybe sometimes being the last round draft pick uh, may be better for your psyche in the long run. So yeah, it's yeah, very were, interesting. Uh, quickly before I. I uh... We, we jump off of it. Uh, I, I did. I read somewhere that that along that same lines that in the Super Bowl, like when you come out of high school, you you get max max prep. You get these. You're like a five star athlete. You know, in high school, it's a business. You know what I mean. So when you get into college, you know, there's these prep websites and stuff that rank you as an athlete going into college, and it's five is the top, the best ultimate high school. You know, football players going to college get a five star ranking, and the the but the the thing was the the stat was something in that like m- most like seventy five to eighty percent of the players playing in the Super Bowl were three star hmm. athletes. Mark three star athletes or below. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. So you know, it's again along those same kind of lines with all the stuff we're talking about, where where you know as the, the these guys weren't even getting a, a basically they were getting a look in but they had right. the size or they had the speed. And these are the guys that were the most teachable maybe and right. got themselves to in the good position to be on a team to win championship, you know? And so, so it j- just goes to show that it's not necessarily those five-star stud athletes that you think that are going to win it all. You know, Brady is the perfect proof of that. Yeah. And you know, if you, if you could parlay that into life and just as the joke, but you know, you go into a bar and you're a single guy and you're looking for those tens, man, grab yourself a six or a seven and <laughs> develop, develop that talent. 
You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's it. For single guys out there, that's it, 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 that you can't you can't beat that quote, man. You cannot no, take, beat that piece of take, advice. Dude. Take your 199th pick in the sixth round and just develop that talent. <laughs> develop that talent into three decades of championships. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, what do so, I know? Uh, get it, just to circling circling back yet again to uh to what uh, you know talking about that guy uh let's 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 get into it i know i i we, we i said we talked about it a little bit uh but we all know that guy right like like i'll just go say mine really quick because mine is a, a super quick one anyway but like mine was like we all know that guy who's always got the fucking right answers right he's always oh, yeah. the, the, he or she they're always right yeah. like no matter even if when they're, they're wrong, not. Yeah, yeah. they're right. right you right. know, like, right. like, and I was like, this, this, we all know that guy. I think every group, everybody, right. we all know. It's one of those if you look around the room and you're not that guy and you can't find that guy, and then you are that guy, right? right. With all, God, all God, God, I hope you're not talking about me. No, no, I'm, not <laughs> I'm just talking about it. I'm just talking about it. I'm not at all. Yeah, no, no, I'm not at all. You know, I would, I, you know, like, you know, dude, you're wrong. Like, you're just like, you, the, the, what you're saying even doesn't even make sense into an argument. There's not even an argument to be had with the thing that you're saying about whether it's right or wrong, yet you still have to be right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's my guy. That's the, you, you know, we yeah. all know that guy. That's my guy. Yeah. Listen, I, I can totally uh, relate to that and come across people all the time. I, I did this, you know, we had, you kind of brought this question up to me last week and I, I kind of took it a different approach to it. Sometimes I, I need some things to fill my day. Sometimes, especially that's why this is good, man. That's yeah, why I you love know, doing and, this with you. I totally. And, and, I, I expect know, one thing, but you come out with something completely different, and it makes so much great sense. So I, I, that's why I do this with you, buddy. So this is something like the you know I guess it's always going to be always going to be a little bit like that guy is always going to be that it's going to be that it's a little annoyance. It may not be a major inconvenience, but. So, you know, I made a, like a short list of those guys and just this yeah, yeah. week. Perfect. So like, here's one and they're lighthearted, but you know, again, so you know, the guy, when you go to the deli and you order a sandwich and you say, whatever, turkey, American lettuce, tomato, roll, mayo, and so on and so forth. And you get the sandwich, you get back in your car and you arrive at the sandwich and somehow, some way this person has been taught to make the sandwich upside down. So, you know, this guy who puts the lettuce, tomato, and cheese on the bottom and the meat <laughs> on the top. We, oh, it's all happened. It's, it's happened to everybody. It has yeah. to have happened to everybody, and it's the worst Jeez. thing in the world. It makes no sense. It <laughs> completely. It makes you almost lose your uh, equilibrium, and it's like so. You got to flip this sandwich over and eat this sandwich upside down. It pisses me off. And everybody's got that guy at the deli. Now I see that guy at the deli when I go in there, and I just avoid. I'm just I like like pretend you know. Can I help you? No, you know, no, no, not yet. I'm uh, I'm browsing the meat case. Uh, I don't you know whatever. I don't want my cheese. It doesn't go cheese. <laughs> lettuce tomato meat it goes the, it's the other way i mean i don't know how if this guy must you know i don't know you know whatever it is everything must be backwards so that shit drives me nuts i know it's a simple thing but it's another thing so here's another guy this is a week just a week of people that that you know when it happened uh, yeah so what about the guy okay so i'm not a big social media guy um i don't have i don't have a social life to, to share in that regard i you know i do what i do and that's it um, so I could fall into this category, although I'm not, I don't partake in a lot of these things, but, um, everybody knows that guy who's got all the social media platforms, all of them, <laughs> but all they do is lurk. They never post all they do is lurk, lurk, lurk. And like you go to work and they're like smiling at you, nodding their head up and down. Yeah. Yeah. The beat looked like it was fun at the beach. 
and you say like, what the fuck are you talking about? You know, and, oh, you know, your missus, you know, posted the, you know, the beach photos. It was, how was the beach? And they always, they know everything about everybody's life and all the shit that's going on, but they don't, you don't even know their last name because they, you know, they don't even share enough of, of that with you. And that's always, you know, that, that's a really weird situation. So I thought that that was one of those things. Too. They're not really, and it's you're supposed to be like, it's social media. You're supposed to share also. Well, um, but the, but the, 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 uh, the, the flips, just a quick, the flip side to that in a way, I, maybe I'm just trying to think of where that tangency comes in here, but like, so the, the other one is the guy who puts cats, sunsets, trees, everything. <laughs> Is that the yeah. one? Yeah. No, I know that one. Every the guy morning. Who puts, the guy who puts so much shit on social media that you have to, you, I like, I'll, I'll get a screenshot from another, another person saying, did you see the shit that they flopped there again today? Listen, at least if it's worthy of getting screenshot and sent to you, at least to me, it's at least content. It must be outrageous yeah. enough. But the one that, the other guy, the other guy is that guy that like, it's the same, like, and it's okay. I mean, it's just, but it's okay. But like, the same beach shot every day. Like I walk to the beach and I take a picture of like this, this beach. I get it. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I get it. I do. We, it's a, you know, and then you go and look and it's 80 posts of sort of the same stuff. So uh, you kind of lose interest, but I don't know. You know, it's one of those things. But, and, like and, and, and lastly, I'll leave, you, I'll leave you with one more. I think I'll, I have two more. One that's really cracking me up now is that I hear a lot and, and it's usually like a politician, but you ever, and especially it, well, it's gotta be an American thing, but, um, they, you know, there's that guy that like, they always tell you that they're a quarter native American, you know, like I am Irish and French and a quarter Cherokee. And it just seems to be a thing now. Everybody seems to be getting back to their native American roots and, and everything like that. But you come across so many people and they don't really make a, a, a great choice. It's always like these real name brand native American tribes. And they're never like some real you know, different tribe. And I just, I, I don't know if it's a, an attempt to be interesting or their other parts of their cultures aren't as interesting or whatever it is, but man, I hear that. And it's usually politicians today and they're trying to parlay, you know, some political motive into it all. So there's another one that drives you nuts. And lastly, this is my favorite well, one. Uh, just before, b before you get into that, mate, like, uh, you know, that's that think about when, when my wife, when we lived in New York and, you know, we would, you would, you know, her, she was Irish. She, she's, she's Irish, you know, and, and the amount of people that like the amount of people that have Irish, uh, shamrock tattoos. Yes. Sure. You're and, Celt and Celtic have, crosses, a lot of Celtic, Celtic crosses. crosses and things. Yeah. And you're like, and, and me, you know, just, Hey, you know, where have you been? Have you been there? And, no, no, I've never been, but my, you know, so-and-so on this side and this so-and-so, I am Irish. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, right. like, Sure. No, that's you, what I mean. It's just crazy. It's a flavor of the moment kind of thing, you know. It's, yeah. And you see, I mean, it's a lot of Irish Americans, obviously, but there's not a lot of real um, cultural awareness when it comes to, you know, listen, yeah. I, learned, I learned a lot. It's just you know, done I, to be done, right? It's just done. Yeah, I think, you know, done. people are trying to make a connection. And that's that's, that's that's what I mean. I think this is there's a motive in, in some cases, maybe not so much in that one. But, uh, yeah, it's one of those things I just saw again on TV. And lastly, this is the one I love the best. I got a friend, and he's that guy, and I love him dearly. And he's a total alcoholic. I mean, this guy just is just booses. You know, he's at the park you know, drinking blended scotch around the garbage can that's been lit on fire, warming his hands. You know, it's a total, you know, he's like, he's a, he's a, he just, he's, he's just a, a guy's guy. He gets down and dirty. I uh, loves to party with the boys. Uh, he's a big sports guy, single, 
Um, there's so many things about him that I'm jealous about, you know, in, in some ways and I'm not, but I love him dearly. But, you know, it's that guy, it's, you know, you always hear the good stories and all. Oh, we had this great time at my friends and I'm doing this and that. And then I get like a night out and I get, let's hang out. Okay, let's do it. And I get out to the bar and, and he orders like a lemonade. I'm not drinking tonight. I'm not drinking tonight. He does this to me all the time. I don't know if he thinks he's being conservative around me. And I'm like, what the fuck? You know, like I've heard the stories and, you know, and I want like, I want make us make some memories with me, you know? And it is like, you always hear this total boozer, total party animal. And then all of a sudden, you know, he gets, he gets with me and he's on his best behavior. He's like the biggest bummer. So all right, I'm done with that. But yeah, those, I love those, it. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. I, the, so the next, the, just breaking into the, doing into the next thing we are with you is that we and we discussed it a few weeks ago. But the, and I'll put I'm going to actually put a link to the uh, the um, recipe itself into the social media into the Facebook page. So so we have it. But um, I wanted to 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 send you over a recipe from from our our buddy Aiden Three Putt if you guys know him out there and uh, Aiden's been doing a lot of cooking as you heard in the first episode there then and uh, you know he's trying to get it work his chops out and and you know get some do some fun and interesting things and and get some cooking done and I, I said why don't you send me over one of you, something that you're doing what are you doing right now I want your recipe though for it and then I was going to give it to you and then have you take a look at it and see what you would say about it so I sent you over a recipe if you want to take it from there and, and you know discuss you know what the recipe is and you don't have to get into necessarily particulars but just what what, what your thoughts were about about what he's doing well first of all I think um, it's really cool that um so many people show us so much interest in in uh in cooking and 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 you know food and wine in general it's just a lot of fun um as a chef it's always so easy uh to talk to people because of it because food and wine it just bridges a gap that you know i play golf with guys on i'm on the golf course with guys and and they are just far more successful and far more intelligent educated and doing so many interesting things and all they really want to know is like what temperature I cook my ribs at. And I'll say, so tell me about what you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, whatever. I, I just really, I'm just interested in how you make that, what is in that burger blend. And, and it's so funny that uh, it draws so much interest and draws so much attention. So it, it's, it's a great hobby for people. So bravo. Um, I'm specifically on the recipe. I love this recipe. I love this recipe for a lot of reasons. Um, the first reason is, is I'm a tart guy. So we're talking about a caramelized balsamic and red onion tart with several cheeses, but really highlighting goat cheese. Um, it's a beautiful recipe. Uh, it combines a ton of great flavors. And just to briefly scan over this, um, it's a great combination of things. The balsamic brings the sweet tart element in there. Uh, the red onions bring that be beautiful sort of sweet caramel caramelized sort of flavor, those sugars. Um, and whereas usually um, onions are the understudy or the supporting role of dishes, you know, like in sauces or in stocks, onions come to the forefront. And I love onions. I think that they're very um, overused as a, as a background flavor, but very underutilized as something in the forefront. So this is sort of a chance for onions to shine. And that's what I really like about it. And it's a classic kind of combo. You know, it really is. So you know it works. Uh, it's been done. It's tried and true, and it's a great recipe. I love everything about it. So you can imagine the sort of 
tart shell, crisp and beautiful, filled with these caramelized onions and balsamic vinegar and and uh, the goat cheese and and everything. You know, just it just rounds it out with the goat cheese, that sort of earthy barnyardy sort of thing that goat cheese brings to a dish. Um, and you know, I love it all together. So bravo on this recipe. I think that it's fantastic. If I have to add a chef's touch to it, this is what I would do. In viewing this recipe, and I'm sure John could provide it for your guys and your, your listeners and for um, our uh, ambitious amateur um, cooks at home, uh, I love everything about this recipe, but I think there's a tweak necessary, and I'm going to tell you what it is. Uh, in looking at this tart dough, um, tart dough really by nature should be flaky. And the way that this recipe is put together makes it a little bit more of a challenge. So when we read this recipe, first of all, what I do love is, I'm just going to go back to this, on the subject of goat cheese, when I read the recipe, the amount of goat cheese needed in this recipe is quoted as loads. <laughs> so I just like that. So how much goat cheese did you use? Well, there's 200 grams of flour. And there's loads of goat cheese. So this is a great <laughs> recipe. I, in fact, when I write recipe and write menu from now on, I'm gonna, that is going to be a term I'm going to use. So people so like, so chef, how much, uh, how much of this? Should loads. Loads. <laughs> it's a, it, like there's a pinch, there's a cup, and now there's loads. Thank you for that. <laughs> Listen, anyways, my point is this. When you do your tart dough, don't overmix your dough. Okay, this recipe sort of reads as this. Add your butter, add your flour, and mix until it's very well combined. That's a big no-no. In, in, co in cooking, we use brise and, and pats. So it's a French method, pat brise, pat sucre, and so on and so forth. Our goal is to create a flaky, tender pie crust, especially for a recipe like this. So it's not the recipe, it's the method of production that I would tweak. And I know I'm getting a little deep in this, but please combine your dry ingredients in your tart dough recipe. Cut your butter into small cubes and keep it very cold, almost frozen. When you add your butter, add it quickly and mix quickly. Don't overmix. The, the, the idea and the key to a flaky pie crust is not to melt the butter into the flour. You want to see chunks of still whole butter mixed in with the flour. And when you chill it and then roll it back out, you still want to see almost a marbled effect. Not too much. But we like to call it almost a pea, mix it to like a pea-sized crumb. And what happens is if you don't melt the butter and then you roll it out and fill your pie pans, when you cook it, that butter melts away. That's what creates the great layers. You ever see a great croissant? It yeah. has beautiful layers. And that's because the butter is never melted. It's incorporated but not melted. So amateur cooks out there, don't overmix your pie crust dough. This will make a great recipe, a phenomenal recipe. Most people miss things like the crumb on a tart shell. But in a recipe like this, um, you really want to make sure. And a good if you look up pat brise, it'll give you a good method of production. This is a great recipe, not knocking it. I just think that, you know, like a chef's tweak, you can if you really want to learn and you want to gather a little take something away from the segment, let's look at uh, cutting in butter and not over mixing. And lastly, blind bake is another term that I would use. Uh, when you roll this out and fill your part, tart shells, you want to dock it. You want to poke it with a fork so it doesn't overrise. And then usually we put a bag of beans wrapped in plastic or wrapped in tinfoil. Uh, look up the term blind baking. And this will make it, it, you know, you can just focus on the filling. 
but uh, a chef would really focus on the technique of the crust as well. And this would, this would really raise your game. So um, if you want to improve, improve an already great recipe, that's what I got. Yeah, I, I, I totally understand what you're saying. I mean, I think that from a, a home cook standpoint, we tend to um, not quite understand that, you know, like the, like the stuff you're talking about, kind of, the, you know, the to blind bake your, your pastry before you fill them, before you fill them, things like that, that actually don't take any more time. It's just timing. You know, you, 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 if you time it right, then you put off your, you, as you're putting in your, your, your blind bake in your shells, that's when you're, you're finishing and putting together the, the, the filling itself. So when those are ready, when everything kind of gets ready, the shells, your stuff, get ready. Here you go. Pop it back in the oven and it's good to, good to go. It, you, you think, oh, the technicality, it's so technical. It's so technical. Well, that's but the like word. You said, you're, you're using the right word though. It's technique. It's not, there's nothing wrong here. These are great flavors. This is, yeah. this is a, this is a, but it, when it comes down to things and when it's polishing recipes, the overview is this just needs a little more technique. Yeah, I totally, I, I think that, uh, you know, it's blind bake. Oh, look, he said blind bake with rice. Who knew? It's a mess getting them removed. So we well, tried you know, to blind bake it with rice. Listen, what you do is you take a little bit of saran wrap or plastic wrap, and it won't melt. Or you use a little tin foil. I prefer beans. So um, you don't ever pour rice or beans directly on the pastry. You need to wrap them in a little sack. And chefs usually use a little tin foil bag. So what we'll do is tart shell, then tart dough, then take a piece of tin foil and just press it on top of your tart and then pour the beans on top of the tinfoil and bake it off. So that's what we would do. I, what I do is I wrap in a little tinfoil, double like two, three ply, fold tinfoil, uh, uh, saran wrap over, a, I don't know what you call it there, plastic wrap, but you fold it over a couple times and you form a little sack and you pour, put that little sack in. And uh, because you're baking at such a low temperature, it usually has no effect on the saran wrap. And uh, so, yeah, no, direct contact is certainly not, that, that's, uh, that could be misleading. You need a little, you need a little, buffer in in between but uh give it a try uh, yeah, trend. Like, yeah you're, you're basically waiting it pick your weight you know some guys take another tart shell and uh, another tart pan and put a tart pan on top and then wait the tart pan that's another way to do it too so uh, there's more than Just, one way to skin a cat great recipe what i'm really most interested about this recipe is what people are drinking with it because that's exactly yeah, that's yeah because ba question, listen yeah. balsamic vinegar vinegar in general can be a real challenge for wines and such and generally speaking if this was an onion and goat cheese tart i'd be going right down the road of the loire valley in france uh bright white wines because goat cheese that's kind of where it comes from and you know where where you know what grows together goes together in this way so you know i'm looking sancerre i'm looking poulet fumé i'm looking uh essentially high acid wines like a Sauvignon Blanc, which of course Sancerre is from the Loire Valley, maybe Chenin Blanc too, beautiful, uh, little brighter, uh, you know, different approach, but one of my favorite wines in the world. But balsamic vinegar really brings another element into this because it's acid is a challenge for wine, especially vinegar and such. It's a real challenge for wine and pairing wines. So um, I tend to think, you know, in this week, these are some wines I think are going to blow your mind, but the, this is what I drank this week, and this is what I think, you know, I go red, and I think uh, bright, high acid reds would really be good, lighter wines, less oak, northern Italian, cold weather climate wines, um, so, you know, some different stuff. I think red burgundy goes really good with this. Uh, this week, I was drinking an ancient vines, Nuit St. George, red burgundy, um, and I think it would be a perfect pairing with this. So go Pinot Noir. And go a little bit higher, brighter acid, a cooler climate approach. You know, not something that 
is going to be very ripe and full, as Pinot Noir should be anyways. It should be a medium-bodied wine. But uh, I look Dolcetto. I look in northern Italy, the wine Sagrantino, some of the cooler climate wines grown at altitude um, that can really combat that uh, acidity of that balsamic vinegar because that's a big, bold – that's a that's the bully in the room. That balsamic vinegar. So a little bit of a challenge, but uh, I, I go red here. So that brings up another just a, a question just on that. Um, as far as a home, San Giovese all day, San Giovese all day long. Hmm? As far as a home, uh, you know, wine collection. Say, you know, uh, you got a lot of people tend to be the home people tend to be you know a one wine kind of person but but the reality is you should probably you know keep yourselves a few you know if you if you had to have let me think here let me say six bottles of wine in your house where what where would you go with them Okay, that's a great question. I think there's a good way to attack this. Um, yeah. I have, I do, I am a love wine and have studied wines. I'm not a wine professional, but I've worked around wines and done uh, more wine dinners than I can remember. I've been so lucky and fortunate to be gifted amazing bottles of wine um, and have fallen into the rut of having favorite wines too. So um, I'll, t I'll, 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 a two pronged attack from a chef's perspective of wine. And from a, a, a wine drinker, uh, you know, just a lover of wine. Um, this is how I kind of do it. This is how I would map out my cellar. And I, I have a, I always joke with people because they say, oh, you know, it's in I say, I have, I don't have a wine cellar. I have a cellar with wine in it. So <laughs> I've collected it. I've drank it. Um, let's just start from the top. The first thing that you need in your repertoire of wines is what I call your slut wine, your slutty wine. I have a wine right now that I love that my wife and I have been drinking for years. It's Pine Ridge. They make a cab, uh, which is a high-end cab, but they make a Chenin Blanc Viognier blend. It's $12.99 a bottle. This wine is everything that you want. It's a summer wine. It's a winter wine. It's an after-work wine. It's the easy pasta night wine. It's a white blend. So I'm a big – so get yourself number one, white blend, whatever it is. Find something fun. Don't go for pure varietal like – single vineyard Chardonnay or something. We'll save that for a minute. This is your every night of the week wine. This is what I call my house wine. You need one of those, period, okay? Next, <laughs> along with a white, I need a red house wine. I'm going to go for me right now, and it depends on the time of the year. You know, I'm going, I love Pinot, and I'm not, Pinot can tend to be a wine professional's uh, first love too, especially Burgundy. It's very involved. It's a big thinking man's wine. Uh, I, I think that's outside of my wheelhouse. I like uh, approachable, reasonable cost wines. I love Oregon Pinot. I love uh, that style, that earthy Pinot. But get a medium-bodied wine. So have house wines in your house. Have a white blend that's fun. There are so many cool wines out there that are white blends that are approachable in cost. So get blended whites. Don't be sort of pigeonholed into a Sancerre. Or a, those are great wines, but don't be such a purist. Find someone's expression of what they want to do. Find a winemaker who does something cool. This is a $12.99 wine, and we love it. I love Chenin Blanc. Why they put Viognier in it? Ask the winemaker, but it's just good. And the same thing <laughs> with a Pinot Noir. Find something that's just fun in general. There's two down. Um, two more. Let's find great dinner wines. Big night wine, uh, you know, it's a it's a Saturday night or you have a steak. Let's do 
you know, a, a, a single varietal white wine. I think for me, again, because I'm going in my repertoire, I got this high acid, uh, simple, fun blend. I go, uh, again, I tend to be uh, lean towards the sluttier wines. I know it's a crazy term, but you understand what I mean? If you're a yeah, wine totally. purist, if you're a wine purist, you're looking for this underripe restraint technique, the, the European old world method, and it is pure and delicious. But I'm a chef and I want to give it to me, shake it in my face. So give me Chardonnay, give me New World, give me lots of American oak, give me something that can stand up to anything. And I call it cocktail party wine because you can have a glass of California Chardonnay in your hands and you can eat olives, cheese, a mm -hmm. oh, chicken wing, and nothing's going to push that wine off your palate. So find that kind of fun wine in there too. I think I go that way in, in that route. Bouncing over to the red side, dinner wines. Okay, you're braising a lamb shank. You got a steak on the grill. Uh, Via La Sabuco. Just find something that you really love. If it's a California cab or a cab blend, that's what we have in the house right now. This is basically my lineup in my house right now. Mm -hmm. So uh, the wife makes the wife makes a lamb shank. Bam, I can go right to. I can just pull. I got a John Wade cab. It's probably eighteen bucks. It's really well made. Find a wine store that just doesn't have. The, the, the name brand shit. Find somebody that drinks the wine and puts it on the shelf. Those are the best people. They, what wine do you love? Tell them your price point and they line it out because not, they're not bringing home $300 bottles of wine either every night. They're drinking the $18 to $20 bottles of wine too. I know the, 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 the exchange and currencies are different, but you know whatever that might be, 12, 15, 15 euros or whatever. So white blends – House reds, pinots, fun stuff. Then and and non-thinking man's pinots, just fun pinot. Then we got these oaky shards, which I love, and I got this sort of house cab. Last but not least, let's get some wines that we can lay down. Um, something that we'll save for special occasions. That's five and six. Number one, I'm a champagne guy. Get me Bollinger. Get me vintage Dom Perignon. Get me Salon Champagne. Get me, uh, uh, uh you know, your 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 vintage champagnes not your you know your year-to-year -year champagnes are great but that's the route i go i have schramsberg vintage california sparkling wine here i i collect and lay down a lot of those so um i'm in that you want i have wine down there that i won't drink and those five and six are wines that i'm not drinking the first yeah. four are drinking wines these are wines that we lay down and we'll enjoy in years to come um so that's where i am on the white side get me the champagnes but not just champagne get vintage champagne get certain years Dom Perignon does a great job with that. Um, and they're special ones. They're uber expensive and, you know, not for everybody. Most of the ones that I have, I've been given. Being a chef, it tends to be a gift. Uh, and last but not least, trophy bottles, trophy reds. Um, again, a lot of them I've been gifted over the years. A lot I've bought and collected. I'm a big Barolo correct collector. They're wines that are made to age 20, 30, 40, 50 years. I'm not a big Bordeaux guy. Uh, I think they're great wines, uh, but it's just not my style. I tend to like to be a collector of Italian red wines that are age worthy. Um, I'm also a big fan of American big game trophy wines, hundred acre opus one synchronon, the great cool collector cult wines of California. Um, and those are wines that uh, I, I have wines downstairs that are over 20 years old and every birthday anniversary, I go down there, I pick it up, I look at it, I blow the dust off. 
and then I can't, I just can't bring myself to drink it. So I put it back on the shelf and grab something of lesser value to me and bring it back upstairs. So those are my six wines. I hope that wasn't too long of an explanation, but two house no. wines, two dinner wines, and then two wines that are in the in the repertoire for, you know, um, there's an asteroid that's on target to hit Earth. I go up on the roof with those four or five bottles of <laughs> vintage Dom Perignon and watch the show. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, completely, completely. Uh, two, just two backup wine stories to talk to talk about that. We're, we're already at an hour and ten minutes. It's awesome how time flies. But uh, I'll never forget with you the uh, the I, I think it was a, what was that? It was an '86 or an 84 one of my customers when i when i lived in west hampton when we got married uh gave me that that 80 i think it was an 84 bottle of dom perignon and i brought it over to your place sure and we had i think we had it with christmas dinner or something we had a christmas meal together or something and it like came with that the box you had to like press the buttons on all four sides and it popped up and it was like locked in the box and shit you know like cheese but to drink it it was like butterscotch it was it was like ridiculously good it yeah. was that was such a good that was one of those times where you know that's the that, that that's the occasion to break to break that out to break out one of the bigs you know one of your ones like that like you talk about but the flip side of that is i um so i used to i, I try i used to before covid i would travel a lot for for my job and um you know when we're when you're out traveling a lot, it's, it takes it, it actually takes a big toll. Like I, I would be right in the middle of travel season now, and and it's it's a toll because you know you're you're flying in, and for it's literally I'm up at four o'clock in the morning to take a six o'clock flight that only lasts forty minutes to go to Birmingham in the UK, but I'm still at the airport for hours, and then I go right to a trade show, and then right after the trade show, you're you're going back, you check in your hotel, you're doing dinner with with suppliers. You're, you're you're up late you're out late and then the next morning you're up early and you're back at the trade show walking miles and so it's just this you're in this wheel you know what i mean like mm-hmm. you have to do these things this is how you have to that's how you, you get yourself out there that's how you market yourself and that's you know business development and that's what i do and that's what i'm good at or whatever but um you know we, we like to enjoy you're gonna enjoy you want to enjoy yourself right you know what i mean and like even all the stories we talked about tonight about you know the drink purist like you know the team and i would go to this bar called the alchemy and every drink they served had like smoke coming out of it you know what i mean they were all in in tiki heads and they were there was like oh what are you doing i'm smoking the the pine needles right now for the top of your drink you know like that one of those like can i just get of vodka on the rocks please like can i just get that but one of the shows that i go to we go to london every year and and i've become friendly with with a couple of suppliers and you know there's a party every year for for the whole show but i don't i never go to it anymore what i do is with these other fellas i go to you know london i'm in london it's kind of like being in in manhattan you know what i mean you're in it's one of the food meccas of the of the planet like ridiculous like it's absolutely ridiculous so we were like you know let's go let's, instead of going to this party let's go somewhere nice so we always you know obviously michelin is what you pick and you can say that you were there and and you know we were at uh, a couple years anyway we've gone to some really nice places so we went to this one and it was an italian uh uh restaurant it was michelin one star i think whatever it was um and we went and it was oh, i mean it was amazing the meal was ridiculous ridiculous the whole thing that it was, it was just fantastic but when 
you know, when the, when the waiter said, what do you want to drink? I said, can, can you have your sommelier, your wine guy? Can I, you have the wine guy over? I, I want to talk to him about it. And you come over and you're like, look, I want you, I, I'm, this is a once in a lifetime, but definitely once a year experience. Like I want you to show me what, what you want to do. What would you do? Here's my men. Here's what I'm eating. What would you do? You know, cause it wasn't a chef's menu. You had to actually pick the, the whatever. And the guy, this one, the guy like his, he lit up, you know, which is ironic. Cause I thought like somebody like this would see this all the time. Like you would think they'd be through this a lot, you know, like you cook in some great restaurants, you know what I mean? Like you've had some wine guys and I've been to your restaurant just been like, go ahead, man. You just, you tell me what I want, you know what I mean? And uh -huh. you, so that's why I kind of took that attitude. It's because that's what they know. And the guy was fantastic. He was so, he was excited. Like he sat down next to us and he was this fired up personality anyway. And, but he was like, all the wines he picked were on for, for this place were some of the most inexpensive wines that they had. But he was like, just trust me on this. Do you just trust me? And I'm like, yeah, yeah because, man. Because he's like, that's real, why I picked these. That's why yeah. I picked these wines you know, because it's, it's, I love these wines and they're fun. Right, and, it and was we amazing. see so much flashy. You see so much flashy behavior um, when you really get boiled down to the nitty gritty. Again, for a food professional or a wine professional, um, you know, you wouldn't go into a restaurant and uh, you know necessarily tell the chef exactly what you wanted to eat. You order what's been what's on the menu, and when you're at that level in a Michelin restaurant, at least, you know, you're um, you're eating what's on the menu because you're there for the experience. And the wine portion of things is the same way. Uh, and you're really letting him, uh, you're, you're allowing him to really show his, all his talents. And I agree. I mean, listen, like I said, um, wine is, people are most guilty with wine just looking at the most expensive bottle or the name brands or the trophy wines. But uh, the, and this is a true statement from someone who uh, has been around a little bit in the restaurant business, the true great wines are never the most expensive wines. It's the wines that experienced palates have discovered uh, by finding very talented winemakers or up-and-coming winemakers. You know, a lot of these guys, they, they are up-and-coming and they make these amazing wines and they get these huge name brands and they become like the, 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 the major massive wine producers and such. And either they go real commercial and it gets flabby and you make 20 million cases a year, or they get really cult and they make 12 cases a year and nobody can get it. Uh, those makes it, that's, that's great if you're, you know, in that, in that uh, tax bracket, but for the rest of us find me, you know, man, you go out like, come on, you know, I think that there's so much value if you're out to dinner and I know it's an expensive thing, but tell me there's not a lot of value in wine from the 80 to $125 range as far as red wines for dinner are concerned you can find some stud wines especially with the guidance of a wine professional saying like hey you know i remember we were in um and i have a lot of ireland stories someday we'll have to i'll have to tell some of them uh, yeah. but uh, but uh, i remember we were in waterford and i'll never forget it uh we went out to dinner and we were sitting there and uh we were looking at the wine list and that wine professional steered us into a crew beaujolais which is, uh, you know, just usually, you know, you hear Beaujolais Nouveau, Beaujolais Nouveau, it's the crap wine. The French can't wait to get rid of it. Um, it's a cheap bottle of wine, but, you know, there's other, there's other versions of that varietal gamay. And we drank a Cru Beaujolais, and it was uh, age-worthy wine, and it was um, not expensive because it wasn't Bordeaux or, 
or Burgundy or a California cab. It was like, you know, the, the other, the other uh, county, you know, the, 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 un, the unsung hero. And I don't know yeah. if you remember it, but I do. And it was just a really terrific experience because um, it was a well-crafted wine that was off the beaten path. And uh, the price yeah, we point, actually the We actually stumbled, right. stumbled into that restaurant. I mean, we just we – we took, took a – walked out of the uh, – <laughs> I remember, remember the phones weren't working, right? And, and <laughs> <laughs> the phones weren't working at the hotel, and we had to go into a certain room to make a phone call. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that when we just found that that uh, that that restaurant. We will have you know we we're gonna, we we definitely have to put a pin in that and tell tell that story on on a podcast for everybody here. Just the whole kind of story of of that trip because that was that was a very funny trip. That was a great trip. Yeah, and that was like that. the the first taste of real real Ireland, you know, that I ever had as well. And I had it with you and, and with our and buddy the crazy, Claude. You know? The crazy part about it was like, you know, a lot of people go to Ireland with like a, a serious plan or an Irish guide. And we had really none. You, Claude, and myself just released on the we country had... of Ireland. Just just <laughs> we... kicked open the, 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 the airport doors and, uh, you know, giving up a dented rent-a-car. Best of luck to you. A couple giggles. <laughs> And uh, yeah. we were on our way. So we literally had uh, this. This is this is the the golf course, and the time we had to play. And this is the hotel we're staying at the night before. And we got there wasn't even the uh, a satellite sat navs and cars. We were getting them to print out the directions for us. Remember? Right. We sure were. Sure were. We have to talk about that. That's, that that'll do, take us. Let's do that. Much. We'll save. We'll save that one for sure. Um, but and we're, we're I'm conscious we're running up into, into the time, man. But this is a uh, time flies. Like every week I say this, but time time absolutely flies, man. I appreciate all your input tonight, and and uh, and thanks for joining me, man. And and next week we'll, uh, we'll we'll chat about what we got going on. And but but I I think we can get some fun guests coming on in the future. And you know I think you probably know some cool people that that we can bring on. I'm, I'm I, I have a, a few plans just to let you know. I got in a in a couple weeks. Uh, uh, I have a couple of my friends who are in the music industry in 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 the states, uh, in in different different ends of the music industry, but both uh, pretty cool in their fields. Like have cool stories in their fields to come on and talk about you know the normal new normal for music and live music in America and live music after a pandemic. So I have a, a and a couple other things coming your way. So uh, you know, thanks for us. Thanks for joining me again, and and I appreciate you coming on, man. I really do. It's a lot of fun. Be well, my brother, and I will uh, we'll speak to you real soon. Thanks, everybody. That's it, folks. Hit the, hit the Lotto Podcast episode four is in the books. Hope you guys uh, enjoyed yourself out there, and I hope we, uh, we at least help pass the hour for you. Active listener, thanks a million, man. You were great for us, and uh, make sure you tell all your buddies to download us. We're out of here. 